Hello and welcome to GoonPod. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So um, let's hope, let's hope that 2023 is just as good as 2022 has been. Yeah. In recent months, I've been asking listeners to nominate their favorite Goon Show episodes and you didn't let me down. So today on this special show, I am joined to run down the top 20 listeners' favorite Goon Shows. We have uh sean gaffney all the way from the united states and um and and mike haskins from about 40 minutes down the road hello 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 Hello, tyler uh so thank you for joining me uh you have both been previous guests uh, a couple of times actually and um and and both have uh, uh acquitted yourselves excellently is there such a word as excellently I think so. Well, there is now. Uh, so thank you for joining me to talk through uh, the, this, this top 20 list. As we're recording this, the World Cup is still going on. And, and, and you know, in the style of the World Cup, um, I don't really watch football, but I know that before matches, all the pundits sit around in the television studio and make predictions. Okay. Mm. Uh, so I'd like to ask you both, what do you think? Do you want to have a stab at what you think the number one episode is going to be? Mike? Ooh. Well, what do I think? What are what I was wondering, Tyler, is um, has any smart Alec in the voting for this voted for an episode which just didn't exist at all? <laughs> you know that there's no recording of, no script, no record of whatsoever. But still, that's my favorite. I really wish that I'd done that now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you 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 all think the dreaded better pudding hurler of Bexilon C is the best one, but no, it, it's it's series two, episode seven which no one has ever heard. Um, <laughs> you might be like that guy. What's his name? Ian Levine. Is he the guy who's got supposedly oh all, all the Doctor Who episodes that are missing? Oh, that, yeah. Um, locked up in his basement. Yes. Yeah. Really? Really? That's the rumor, isn't it? <laughs> well, who is he? How has he got them? I Why don't know. Somebody go there. I don't but, know. There yes, are, no. I'm sure, podcasts that can give the history of Ian Levine, but it's mm. outside of this rubric, I think. <laughs> So, so seriously now, Mike, um, want to have a go? What do you think would be number one? Well, you see, um, I've listened to a few recently, mm. and mm. I can tell you the ones which I think, you know, which uh, I can't remember what I voted for now. The ones I should have voted for are Dreaded Better Pudding Hurler, because that is a fantastic show and script. Um, the Greenslade story, I find quite delightful as an yeah. episode. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other one, which I remember you talking about with uh, John Dredge, was Call of the West, which I absolutely love. Uh, and that's a fantastic episode. Although you you were talking to John Dredge about it and you kept saying, I wouldn't play this to somebody as their first goon show. But no. um, I, no. th- I think I would. <laughs> I would play that too. I think it's superb. So uh, anyway, we will see. We will okay. see if, if any or none of those are in the list. Indeed. And, and what about you, Sean? What do you reckon? I will be very surprised if napoleon's piano is if not number one at least in the top two okay okay um certainly also batter putting hurler i expect to be right up there i mean uh, yeah i expect the top goon shows to be the ones that everyone brings up all the time i mean we're not going to be getting a surprise appearance of personal narrative <laughs> the top five. or the the, the, the missing boa constrictor no, we're not going to get those, although I am fond of that one. Uh, oh, that's one of my favorite underrated goon shows. Yes. I, I, I'm just thinking, Sean could be the Paul Gambaccini of Goon Pop, oh, couldn't he, really, with that gosh, accent. That accent, yeah. 
Yeah, you could be. Do you know Paul Gambaccini, Sean? I have no idea. He is um he's an American uh, person who has uh, been on radio, all sorts of radio stations for many many years, and uh, is a great expert on on many things, on um on pop, uh, pop, music. pop singles. Yes, yes, yes that's yeah. right. Okay, so um so let's crack on because there's a lot to get through. And by the way, listeners, if if right now you're hearing uh, a music bed, which is the the pick of the pops music, um then it means I've taken leave of my senses uh, <laughs> and shouldn't be allowed to operate a podcast until I've fully regained my wits. I know Mike is, has been putting pressure on me to yeah. have that music. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see. But let's hope there's none of that. Okay. So let's kick off with, with number 20. Number 20 is the case of the missing CD plates from Series 6. Good heavens. Yes. One of the, one of the first that I ever heard. It was probably one of the first three or four that I uh, experienced and, and I've, it's been a firm favorite of mine for, well, ever since. I mean, yeah, it, well, you've already uh, done a goon pod on this episode. It's a classic. Mm-hmm. It revolves around uh, recent abuses of diplomatic core immunity by diplomats and their families that had been habiting in Britain in 1955, including, yes, the son of a diplomat throwing a piano out a window where it struck a car. <laughs> So it's one of those cases where you listened to it and you didn't realize how close it was to real life until you heard the story. And then you're like, wait, Spike didn't make that up. I, I seem to remember when we did, because I did the, the I did that show with John Rain. You, you're quite right. But I think my research hadn't extended to actually finding out that, that it was based, it was a story torn from the headlines, as they say. I didn't realize until after the show that there was an actual piano thrown out of a window what are your thoughts on this, this show mike well i i'm just dipping into my pile of goon show classics lps and i see that this was on goon show classics volume seven mm-hmm. and this was um, released in september 1980 so what's the relevance of that then so this, this would have been the first one that they released after uh seller's death of course so, uh, yeah right. so it's got a bit it's got a big picture of him on the back in um yeah. Slightly odd picture with a sort of strange tartan shirt on and a jumper. Uh, <laughs> this album is dedicated to Peter Sellers with grateful thanks for all the pleasure and laughter which he gave to so many people. And uh, it's on the other side of the man who never was. So yes. Yeah, the, will that one be making a, an, an appearance in the list, I wonder? Uh, possibly. That man who never was notably was my debut episode for Goompod. Of course it was, yes. The very first one. When, when I was first dipping my toe into the water and, and I was I was nervous as hell and uh, um, came across probably sounding uh, amateur because I haven't, I, I never go back and re-listen to these. So God knows what the early ones sound like. But uh, The other thing I wanted to mention about uh, CD plates, we'd, we'd been hearing the song on and off uh, throughout the end of series five, beginning of series six, but this is the show for Victor Sylvester's recording of "You're Dancing on My Heart." Uh, yes, <laughs> due to the uh, running gag of the you know, pst, boom, um, that is in this show. Meanwhile, in a stench packing factory in Saigon. <laughs> We return you now to where we left off. Pst, tick, vang. Fine, fine, fine. 
I'm glad they left it in as well. You know, they could have easily just clipped that bit out, but they kept, they kept it in. Uh, so that was number 20. Number 19 is, from Series 7, The Flea. Uh, now, The Flea is an episode that I always maintain that it's, well, it's certainly one of my favourites. It's in my top three. And I think you said about uh, The Call of the West, me saying that couldn't be somebody, you know, newbie's intro episode, Mike. I think mm. the flea, I always think the flea would be a perfect introduction to the goons. By an amazing coincidence, it's on another Goon Show Classics final MP, isn't it? Oh, what? I, I wonder yeah. how much more of this we're going to see <laughs> is countdown. Um, but there again, when you think about it, in fact, your top 20 should correspond precisely to everything that's on the Goon Show Classics LPs because they were put out as Goon Show Classics. So um, it should be exactly... The, so either they were classics and therefore they were on the LPs and they must be in the list, or people are so familiar with them from listening to them so often because they were on the LPs that they have now become the ones that people have voted for. It could be either. I, I agree 100%. Later. Yeah, it, that it's giving nothing away but to say that this this list is very heavily weighted towards the LPs. I'd love to know what the selection criteria were for some of the Gucci yeah. classics inclusions. Well, that, that, that is, you see, this is the thing. It's all very well for you young people. I don't know how old you are, Sean, but um, uh, Tyler is, is a child. Mm. But um, for me, in the 70s, uh, getting those LPs was basically the only way you could hear these things. And so you got two a year. You know, and this 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 went on because um, the thing I was telling you before, Tyler, was that I got the Guncho scripts book uh, that came out sort of when I started secondary school, and then you had this run of Guncho classics LPs from BBC, and that finished when I left university. So for me, it's that part of my life many mm. many years ago. Um, but it did always seem like, why have they chosen? You know, some of them were brilliant. Well, I do. I do suspect that uh, one of the main reasons why the BBC chose Batter Pudding Hurler and Plenty the Elder for the first LP, besides the fact that they're both fantastic shows, yes. is because they were complete in the archives. They were a full show with no cuts in the archives. They didn't. It wasn't, oh, we only have the transcription version or we only have Pick of the Goons and they could just put it out as uncut. Ah, that's interesting, yes, because it did just seem very random, the ones that you would get in those days. And, um, you know, and there weren't many, you know, they would repeat them occasionally on the radio, but there wasn't much. So, you know, you you would go, or I would go from sort of about the age of 13 to 18, and there would just be, you know, it'd be a handful of goon shows that you could actually hear. Whereas now, young people have it so easy they're all just out there and you can listen to them in order there was absolutely no possibility of getting any sense that oh yeah this one is from you know and then it should be this one next you could never do that so um i have my copy of the goon show companion here and as i got them and put them on little cassettes i would put a little pencil mark next to the episode yep. to say that i'd got it that yep. click did it that was the best me you too. could do me too yeah because i used to collect them <clears throat> obviously got the i got the cassettes of the lps um, collected all those, and then I was a member of the Goonshow Preservation Society, and used mm. to get uh, uh, these—I um, don't know—semi-legal mm. cassettes of other shows that weren't commercially available, which I would. Oh then... yes, yeah. me, me too. I had to get the, I got them from the U.S. side of the uh, Goonshow Preservation Society. Yeah, and uh, that's where I got uh, China Story and Six Charlies, which was my 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 first Goon shows that were not commercially released at the time. I must get back to the flea. 
Yes. <laughs> any any thoughts, chaps, about this particular show? I think Spike had been reading Sam Samuel Pepys's diaries. Um, mm. in, in fact, I think he'd been reading them through a lot of 1956 because personal narrative also takes place in that time period, which was a show that was done about six episodes before this one. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Fitzsimmons, by the way, is not in the real Samuel Pepys's diaries, but she's a great running gag. Yes. Uh, the other thing I observe is that You Gotta Go Ow had just come out um, mm. when this episode emerged, and this episode plugs it heavily. <laughs> it does. Oh, you gotta go ow. It comes. He's just been out. Yes, it's all the rage. Now, um, have these two seats been taken? No, they're still here. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie. I was only nearly saying that the other day. But but Spike was a shameless plugger of his songs in which must have been strictly illegal on the BBC. Surely they must have come down very hard on on any plugging of commercial other commercial things that you had out. Yeah, not sure how it worked. But anyway, uh, let, let us move on swiftly. Number 18 is, from Series 9, The Call of the West. Mike, The Call of the West. Oh, well, this is the best one. <laughs> Do you think? Um, mm. Yes, I, I would. Re- uh, whatever I voted for before, I'm, I take it back. I'm, I'm voting for Call of the West. It's, it's uh, yeah. Do, do you not like it, Tyler? It's great. Right. It's one of those that where I got the script book before I yes. heard the show. So I'd read yeah. the script before I heard the actual audio. And let's put it this way. Um, I love the Carry On films, but one of the ones I like the least is Carry On Cowboy, because I don't like the fact they're doing semi-American accents. No offense, Sean. Um, <laughs> but um, it, it, I don't know. It just, I I, I Oddly, like... I, I quite like Carry On Cowboy, if only because Sid James is playing an actual villain. I mean, he's horrible. <laughs> the rumpo kig. Um, yeah, no, the, I I knew it first from the uh, the second book of scripts, and I thought it was like the standout one in that ball. You know, there's there's one or two standouts, uh, yeah. but I think it, I think this is really good. I really like it because uh, it it's 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 a great good show because we're all familiar with cowboy films, right? Mm. And this is what Spike does best. You know, once you've got that, you know, the, the audience does half the work. To make the plot because there isn't any plot but you've just got this panorama of this sort of cowboy world all these kind of little scenes and moments and things going on which you might have seen in various cowboy films but you've got these goon characters just sort of occupying this great sort of expanse and you just move so you know it's like a great goon show in that it doesn't have a story it gives the illusion of story because you have these characters you know in in this landscape yes and, um yes i just think it's full of great jokes you know the uh, you know <laughs> yeah and stuck, plot, stuck plot my... wise it's it's a bit of a mess i think but not in a bad way uh i also think despite the fact that i often say i'm more fond of early moriarty than than late moriarty uh this is i love moriarty in call of the west he's just <laughs> possibly at his worst here and, and uh and my favorite bit of all is the i'll be calling you sequence with wallace max and ray is it <laughs> Thank you. 
His three alone Indians. Call them over. We can do it alone, huh? Sellers, I think, is really brilliant in this episode. And uh, it's interesting because this is the one following on, is it, from the one episode he missed. And so he comes back. And uh, I think you have this very strong episode when he comes back. Oh, I'm not sure you mean um, yes, Pink Obo. Uh, yes, it was. The week before was Who is Pink Obo, uh, yeah, where yeah. Sellers was ill. Right. Okay. Yeah. Just the other thing on. is, of course, it, it's the one that uh, six days before Larry dies, isn't it? Before Larry Stevens dies. Oh, yes. we, will, we will mention that later. Okay. Um, so, Spoilers. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, did, um, did, did you not know he was dead? <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. That's on an LP, uh, Goonshow Classics, Volume 9. The, 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 I vastly preferred the B-side last of the Smoking Seagreens, which was my first show ever, the first one I ever heard. And oh, and I, I just spotted a typo on my cover of Goonshow Classics, Volume 9, where they say, Last of the Smoking Seagreen was originally broadcast on the 28th of January, 1959. Oh, it certainly mm-hmm. wasn't. It was That's 1960. Yeah. Also, also the cover is interesting because it's got sleeve notes by Blue Bottle in sort of Blue Bottle's handwriting. Do you have a copy of this? I don't. I don't. No. I only had the tape. Ah, oh, hello, you rotten swines. If you had not given me this quarter pound of dolly mixtures, you would not have got this copy of Good Show Classics Volume 9. He said, not in the voice. Um, yeah. I suspect those liner notes were not written by Spike. <laughs> I don't know who's done them, but yeah, it's uh, it's quite nice. It's all just some sort of scribbly, um, scribbly writing, and the cover is very nice as well from Martin Honeyset. Lovely. Okay, so uh, so number seventeen, and this is this is the first surprise, shall we say? It, in as much as it is not a goon show which appeared on an LP, and it it it's become it's. Be- <laughs> I'll just tell you, it's the mysterious punch up the conquer. Ah, <laughs> it's, fa- yes. it's your favorite episode, Tyler. It's got mm. your favorite bit in. Mm. Presumably, it has uh, assumed this level of greatness because of that sequence. Yes, because that was a handy sequence that they could sort of cut out and put on these, um, you know, sort of heroes of comedy sort of programs and on Channel Four in the nineties, maybe. Yeah, it's it's a distinct little bit which goes on for you know for a few minutes, and uh, I mean it's a great sequence. It is really good. It really <laughs> is. It, it. I mean, it. it it's sort of like the thing you the joke you've heard 87 times where the first yes. time you hear it it lays you out but then you're like oh yeah granddad let's bring back the joke again. <laughs> it's sort of become the um the dead parrot sketch of the goons i suppose blue bottle and eccles two-handers were something that spike and larry wrote throughout series five through like nine yeah but it's like it does stand apart, and it's like they, or Spike had had the idea for that sequence, and um, almost wrote it as a sketch, and or where can we put it in? And and there it is at the end of this episode. And so, yeah, well, I would say that the rest of the episode isn't maybe not quite, you know, 
at the same level as 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 that uh, as that routine. I'd like to know how much involvement Larry had in that sequence, and how much Mike, uh, how much Mike did, how much Spike did. I had um, no involvement in that sequence. No, no, but it'd be interesting. I mean, imagine if it was solely written by Larry that bit, for example. Imagine that. <laughs> which is which is not impossible. We don't. Well, we, I mean, there we are certain things that I that I now realize are you know goon show classic running gags that were larry's such as it's all in the mind you know was a yes. larry stevens thing I, I it's a show that um it, it was not just because of that sequence i mean to be look the only reason i've got an issue with it is because it's lazy uh, program makers use it whenever they want to illustrate the goon, goon's humor and and uh, i haven't listened to the show itself the whole show for 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 many years actually it, it was never one of my favorites anyway um, but enough people seem to like it, so uh, that's why it's yeah. number seventeen. Yeah, well, it did get a release on on a Goon Show Classics cassette in nineteen ninety two. So maybe that's. Did um... I have that one? Yeah. Was that uh, was, was that though? That wasn't part of the the official canon, well, you, if you like. Uh, well, yeah, official canon. So they stopped the LPs, the vinyl LPs, in nineteen eighty five. With mm. the last one, and then they started doing these um, four packs. Didn't well, you know, you've got four shows on two yes. cassettes. Yeah, and in fact, I think the when they re-released the cassette, um, they called it "What Time Is It, Eccles?" The subtitle of that. That's, that's, that's right. right. Yes, yeah. it it was such a hit. But, yeah, uh, yeah, but it, it the, the plot sort of takes off just through. You know, they they always have that opening bit of banter with um with Greenslade, don't they? And uh, in that one, it's um you know it's, it's it, this is the BBC Light program, and then Seagoon says you'll get a punch up the conch wall, and um, they just I sort think of run with that, that idea. a couple a couple episodes before, so it's possible uh-huh. that Spike just got or Spike or Larry just got an idea from that and ran with it. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. and just made the whole plot about that. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so number 16, we're up to number 16 now, and it is the International Christmas Pudding. Oh, very good. Ah. On Bloodnock's advice, I also purchased the following vital equipment. One knee-action self-reciprocating Christmas pudding gun. One hand-painted inflatable Christmas pudding decoy with rubber holly. One portable plastic and gravel road. One long bent thing with a sort of lump on the end. (laughs) One waterproof cover for the same. One same. 33 boxes of yellow kosher boots. Another long bent thing with a sort of lamp on the end. One uncooked leather trilby with sugar feather. <laughs> One 60-foot explodable granite statue of Bessie Braddock with built-in plunger. <laughs> Detailed plans of what to do with long bent thing with sort of lump on the end. Uh, again, it was from Goonshow Classics Volume 3. And uh, it's one that Again, it was one of the ones that I heard quite early on and very fond of it. Uh, although it's not one that I listen to a lot, so it's not burned into my brain quite as much as some of the others. It's, it's really good. It's one of the first shows that I heard rather than read the script of. Possibly its most important, um, its biggest importance is it's the first mention of Sabrina. Oh, right. Uh, you, the gag might be famous or infamous, but certainly Sabrina appears in almost every episode of series six, starting with this one of Sabrina, of course, being a minor mm. British celebrity. 
Well, Mike, no Mike, Mike, yeah, Mike used to have um, pictures of Sabrina pinned on the barrack room wall when I was doing my national service in mm. the in the late 1940s. Yes, that, uh, <laughs> Sabrina used to be what she's she was like a dolly bird on um, on the telly with Arthur Eskey. That's right. Yes, yeah. I was told. I think she was supposed to essentially be the the dumb blonde character. Um, you know, you, uh, like um. What's her name from uh, the 1948 show? That sort of thing. Oh, Amy uh, McDonald. Amy McDonald. Yes. Lovely right. Amy McDonald. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and obviously Spike, for some reason, took a great liking to her. Yes. I, I, yes. I cannot... Though though it vanished just as quickly because as you get into series seven, uh, he's moved on to Jane Mansfield. Of course, it was a sort of similar sort of, um, <laughs> sort of uh, image. Uh, and Diana Dawes comes up a lot as well, doesn't she? Yes, the homegrown version. Well, Sabrina is also homegrown. Yeah. The other yeah. interesting thing I find about Christmas pudding is that uh, Nettie comes out pretty well. Um, he loses some money to Gritpipe and Moriarty, but it doesn't sound like he's penniless at the end of it. He's still got plenty of money. Mm. Spike uh, set the show in 1843, which is the same year as Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's accidental. Nope. It's basically a Christmas episode, except that it aired on November fifteenth. Yes, yes, and 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 it got a sequel, which wasn't very good. No, the the sequel is not very good. Hmm. You know about that one, Mike? No, what's what's the sequel? Uh, it's the raid of the oh, International yes. Christmas Pudding. Oh, okay. Yes, uh, one of the last uh, officially released uh, Gun shows, merely because the sound quality of what remained of it was so poor that. Ted Kendall really needed to work on it before it could be put on a compendium. Yeah. Number 15 is from series five, the canal. Uh, oh, features Valentine dial, the man in black. Yes. Uh, it was clearly written for Valentine dial, as opposed to Valentine dial has appeared in a number of goon shows. Uh, but there were basically two that exist that were written specifically as a vehicle for him the the canal and the house of teeth yes his first appearance was in uh series three um the tragedy of oxley towers which does not exist anymore unfortunately and from what i've that, seen that, the that, script, that's my not... favorite episode mm. <laughs> i'm voting it for, for number one valentine he was in bumblethorpe as well wasn't he before all of this yes. or was that yeah. after series one um, so is that is that his first connection with Spike? And they, I guess they must have just really got on because uh, and then he's in the bed sitting room later, of course. And and then much later, he's in the great McGonagall film. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, he, he and, and he's in Fred. Yes, of course. It's like a sort of Warner Brothers cartoon. This isn't it? This this episode was. Oh, yes. It's like the coyote the going down the cliff. <laughs> Nettie. Uh, how many times can it happen? Yes, and uh, I do like Blue Bottle as the as the man from the insurance company who comes. Oh yes, has to count out the money. <laughs> this this was one of the shows that was in the Goon Show scripts, uh, which, as I mentioned on my first episode, was um, my introduction to the Goon Show. Yeah, right. And um, it had several bits that were cut before airing, such as Bloodnock made an appearance as uh, Nettie's uncle, which was completely cut from the final That's version. Right. Yes. Yes, because we've covered this on Goombot and we, we discussed that as well, I remember. And Reuben Croucher, who was the coachman, which was basically the Lou character by a different name, uh, he had a more extended scene, I think, Sean, didn't he? Yes. And um, 
um, Spike also rewrote a lot of stuff in Morgun Show scripts. Um, there's lots of scenes that were not in the original script that Spike added in the 70s when the book came out. Oh, really? That I didn't know. I didn't know that either. We are trippy! <laughs> Curse! He's locked us in. Never mind, we'll batter the door down. Where's something with a blunt head? Put me down! Put me down! I shall charge the door and smash it down! Good man! Stand back, here I go! To match what I was splitting the door! Number 14 is The Treasure in the Lake. I'm Norris Toof of Messrs. Meal, Pin and Thada, Commissioners for Olds, and Small Bets, please. You should know. I've been instructed to inform you that you are next in line for the treasures of Laird McGool. It's a heritage, sir, worth 10,000 pounds. Oh, well, I'll have to inform the Labour Exchange. <laughs> One point, sir, before you do, you must prove to me that you are of Scottish blood. Simple. <coughs> or chime on, it's a warm, black, moonlit nacht, isn't it? Robert the Bruce, Partick Thistle 3, Celtic Ridges nil. <laughs> P.S. Down with England, Mon Hoots. Proof positive, sir. Proof positive. Needle Nardle McNeil. You can't go a word against the hell. <laughs> it's on another LP, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. It is. I love this one. Yes, it's... Uh, we covered it recently on Goonpod with, um, with Chris Shaw and... Uh, I mean, the, the LP itself is a thing of beauty in the sense, look, look at the cover and also look at what's on the other side, Mike. Is it going to be the Greenslade story? It's the Greenslade story. Oh, yes. yes, that's right. Yes. And there we are. Yes, the nice. Again, it's a honey set, Martin, honey set cover. And uh, you're yeah, depicting the, I suppose, the treasure in the lake there, isn't it? Yes. Very and good. Uh, this, this show, I, I absolutely adore this show. Eccles as the dog <laughs> just <laughs> never fails to cheer me up. It, it's great. I, I also, I love Harry Seacombe's work in this show. I think yes. it's uh, one of his best turns as Nettie. Uh, it also, I, I, the Goon Show occasionally went for the lavatorial gag, and most of the time they're not very good. But the, the one in here with, I've got to stop. Why? Can't you guess? Mm. <laughs> is, is probably my favorite. <laughs> and of course, yes, I mean, it, 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 it's, a, it's a show that... Uh is set in scotland and so we have many many opportunities for that lovely running gag of whenever a scottish character is talking they are accompanied by bagpipes bagpipes yes. <laughs> uh okay moving on number 13 is from series eight what's it going to be it's from series eight come on no. i'm guessing it's the man who never was it's the man who never was uh, indeed indeed uh which is a, a remake of a series six show much better remake uh which itself was an extended remake of a sequence from a series three show i think i'm right in saying sean yep. yeah and this is this is the best version easily yes yeah and it's it, i mean let's be honest series eight is patchy and that's that's being generous because they were they were was it every other week they were recording two shows? They were recording yeah, the, every the, other week they the would do vintage. the um, vintage goons 
together with a series eight. Yes. And usually those weeks you can sort of tell that, uh, cause the series eight episode was recorded second mm -hmm. for the most part. And you, usually you can tell they're probably a little more giggly or, you know, they tend to go off script more. The The only other series eight that I'd put up with the man who never was is treasure, the treasure in the tower. Mm, yes. Which is an excellent one, which, uh, you, you mentioned on Twitter the other day, I noticed. Um, I did, yes. I've, I've gotten to that point in my, um, my trivia threads. <laughs> and, and, there's, and you mentioned that, um, that book that you have to sell a vital organ to afford, which is, what is it, Milligan's Accordion? Something like that? Spike Milligan's Accordion. It's a, um, one of those academic books for scholars examining the goon show. I, yes. It's fascinating. Get, get, you know, get, I think it gets a few facts wrong that might irritate goon listeners but i think in terms of an academic analysis it's pretty good i don't know whether it's worth 130 pounds or whatever it goes for mm. <laughs> but um back to back to the man who never was which is the episode that actually um oh, sorry yes got the votes mm. yes um yeah it's also uh, i think uh i don't know whether this is the only uh wartime uh goon show in the countdown i'm sure i will find out but I would say probably one of the best of the um, wartime goon shows, if not the best. Yeah. Yeah. With a proper ending, a proper big gag belly laugh ending. Yes, now we've taken Red Car to uh, construct an exact uh, replica of the plan found in the uncooked Germany boot. Yes. Ha 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 ha, Oh dear, Charlie's here. <laughs> Now, Ian, the, uh, the rather ominous part, the only operating mechanism on this weapon is a small metal handle. Okay. And before we turn it, gentlemen, we must uh, take precautions. Sergeant? Yes, sir. Chairman, will you all please take up position behind the 40-inch anti-gamma ray lead line wall? All right, sir. Right, Hunt. Gentlemen, I shall be turning the handle five seconds from now. Uh, five, four... Three, two, one, turn. Dad, what fiendish ingenuity. A barrel organ. Don't waste it. Eccles up on the top and start scratching. Seekum, the tin mug and off we go. Thank you. That ending um, was used in the series three episode. And for some reason, when they did, they remade it for series six, they replaced it and it was not nearly as no. good. Yeah. Which I think they gathered because it was back in again for series eight. Yeah. So this, uh, this is, this is, I mean, would Larry actually have co-written this or is it just because it's a, a rewrite that he's, mind you, that doesn't seem to bother Spike, did it? Sometimes if he I was rewriting that, earlier scripts. I believe that at this point, um, Spike and Larry had had a falling out. Yeah, because this series, as well as everything else going on, so Larry, where, when does Larry write the army game? Because because you have this sort of period in this series well, where... this is early 1958. Yeah, yeah. So when did the army game well, start? I, I, was, I want to say 58 is yeah. the army game as well. Yeah, because you have this period where, you know, he's been writing, Spike had been writing with Larry, and then they get this system where one week it's Larry and Morris Wiltshire, and then the next week it's Spike, and then the next week it's Larry and Mo um, it's, That's that's. Uh, I think that's more down to um, the fact that they were trying to work in the rewrites of Vintage of vintage Goons. Andrew right. Pixley's um, compendium basically had Spike going to the producers and saying, look, I cannot 
write two shows and rewrite a show in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And so um, they eventually came up that uh, one week Spike would write and the next week Larry and uh, Morris Wiltshire yeah. would write it. it. It doesn't last very long, though, that uh, that well, that would seem like a sensible setup at at, uh, at any time to have, um, you know, sort of two teams writing this, you know, because turning out half an hour of this stuff every week for however long, 26 weeks a year, that is that's a lot for anyone to do. And, it is. Uh, so that is just incredibly difficult. And so obviously Spike needs somebody to help him with it. But also you think he is the sort of person where you know, he wants to do what he wants to do. And somebody else is not going to be whoever they are. They're not going to be quite on the same wavelength as him. And um, But yeah, I mean, that. so it's also around here where he sends that letter about wanting to get um, what Dave Freeman and all sorts of other people in to write the show and uh, and Valentine Dial in to play Sellers parts. That's that's somewhere during yeah, this period think, as well isn't it i think basically spike wanted a strong writing partner who would push back against him but eventually do whatever he wanted yeah which is well, hard <laughs> well yeah i don't even yes i don't know really he wants to write it himself but it is too much for one person even for spike to do all this himself yeah. You know, you, you just can't do it. You, you need some way of uh, somebody assisting you. It's interesting, you know, that the person who I suppose he works with for longest in his career is Neil Shand on the Q series. Mm. Yes. And really, Neil Shand is... He's not a he's not a structure person either, is he? He's a kind of no. one-liner gag person from sort of David Frost. I was about to say I recognize the name from David Frost series. Yeah, yeah, and so he became Spike's co-writer for years on on all of the Q series, I yeah. think right up into the uh, into the eighties, uh, all Spike's TV stuff. But uh, it's just interesting, you know, that he always seems so down on on Larry, or he, you know, yeah, his comments cool. afterwards, and maybe you know it's because Larry was not contributing. The sort you know, what Spike would really like is another Spike in the room who's just contributing the same sort of uh, mad ideas. But Larry is probably trying to impose a little bit of structure. Well, he unkindly. What did he say? What did he say, Sean, about Larry? He was the highest paid typist in the business, or something. Yeah, which uh, literally everybody else says Spike is wrong, and I think that it. uh, I think we're finding that a lot of the um, more beloved goon show gags as we get more research into the show are not spike but spike and co-writers yes right yeah yeah and you you see this sort of thing um especially in the pre-internet age where people play up their accomplishments in order to get the recognition they think they deserve um you got this with warner brother cartoons as well bob clampett and chuck jones uh famously did not get on and each of them told their own version of who created Bugs Bunny and that sort of thing because it was their way of getting out there and getting noticed because they weren't being invited on chat shows or anything. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. All right. So that's number 30. So number 12 is Wings Over Dagenham. Uh, another classic. You talked about it on the podcast this year, didn't you? Yes, with um, with Eddie Robson. And um, and it's That's again, right. it's from I was Goon... going to say Eddie Redmayne, but um, <laughs> Robson, it would have been a good booking. I'd be happy with Eddie Yates, to be honest with you. Um, it's on Goon Show Classics Volume Six with the Rent Collectors, which actually I prefer the Rent Collectors slightly. I love both, but the Rent Collectors edges it for me. Uh, but... this was one of the first episodes where I had to do uh, Goon Show research. Um, because when I first heard it, I had no idea what Lyle Street was. Oh, yes, yeah. 
um, famous red light area, wasn't it, in Soho? Yes. Uh, and it's got the the marvelous uh, cameo of George Chisholm from the band as Mick Chisholm, and uh, you know, a thoroughly enjoyable show with that very memorable line. Um, oh, what was that? I just saw the earth <laughs> through the memorable. clouds. Yes, I'm just trying to think. Just saw the earth through the clouds. Did it look round? Yeah, but I don't think it saw me. Yes. Uh, uh, I, thought, I thought you were going to say he's fallen in the water, but. Oh, yes. yeah. Well, that's unofficial appearance, wasn't it? First appearance. Yeah. Yes. yes. I think it was just sort of muttered and because they recorded Wings Over Dagenham and the Rent Collectors on the same evening, I believe. Yes. That's because right. uh, there was something about they wanted uh, Christmas off, so they had to double a bunch of Series 7 shows. Yes. Yes. Mm, mm. Oh, lots of good moments. Uh, Eccles helping uh, reverse the truck, oh, yeah. figuring the <laughs> uh, the scene in Annie Hall, <laughs> and uh, possibly possibly my favourite moment in it, right, is um is the pause when the, when he calls up Blue Bottle, uh, the pause before Blue Bottle speaks. It's just sort of perfect, you know. Just um, Sellers just playing the who's it going to be, and oh, it's him calling B four, calling B four. Hello. Control calling B4. Hello, Captain. <laughs> Is that you, B4? Yeah. Why didn't you answer me, B4? Because I didn't hear you, B4. And the petrol-driven violin, of course, that you mentioned in the podcast. That's uh, yes, but yes. Um, yeah, it, it's an odd plot, isn't it? Because you think it's going to be one thing, you think it's going to be the history of aviation, and uh, it's sort of not. But uh, there's 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 plenty well, to enjoy hadn't, in it. Well, hadn't Gatwick just opened, or Heathrow just opened one of those at the time this was written? Ah, right. So Croydon Airport, and uh, what this becomes Gatwick, does it or or Heathrow? Well, I think sure. Croydon was closing, maybe. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Again, if, if it was, it was, uh, uh, as I said before, torn from the headlines, despite keeping an eye on what's going on in the world and uh, getting inspiration from it. Um, yes. Okay, number 11 is, from Series 6 again, The Fear of Wages. Please remove that false bald woman's wig and leave myself naked with the mating season. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Very well. I sentence you to the highly esteemed goon show. <laughs> Presenting Wallace Greenslade in his daring announcement entitled Le Salaire de la Peur, meaning the wages of fear or in England The Fear of Wages. Two things on this, because mm. I would have sworn blind that this was on one of the Pardophone records, and it's not. No. And uh, it's not. the other the other thing that I would have sworn blind is I, I'd obviously reconstructed in my mind the film that I thought that it was based on. I just thought it was like a sort of 1950s Humphrey Bogart film. So I've just always had a picture of that film. And of course it's not, it's a French film. So it it's wasn't a French called film. Fear of Wages. It was... Um, wages of Fear. Uh, uh, well, yes, of course, Wages of Fear, but it, it wasn't called, it would have had a French title, wouldn't it? But, oh, um, yes. Uh, yes, I can't remember. I, no, I can't remember what the French title is, but uh, remade as Sorcerer. Yes. By, um, <laughs> Friedkin. I, and who who did the music? Yeah, because I remember that coming out in the seventies. Because yes. Tangerine Dream, who did the music? Wonderful and, uh... soundtrack. Are, are you familiar with the work of Tangerine Dream, Sean? 
I am. Uh, not uh, mostly from the mid '70s, because yes. As as always, I think, well, I'm just going to start listening to their catalog, and I get about five LPs in, and I realize I've got 180 to go, yeah. and I sort <laughs> of drop off. They they were like a sort of, you know, all synthesizer group before anyone was doing that, but they weren't really sort of um, Gloria Gaynor disco, uh, Giorgio Moroder sort of music, were they? They were, no. um, they were they were different. Anyway, um, but, uh, but we covered the show. We covered Fear of Wages only about a month ago. So go back and listen to that if you haven't already. But it's Spike's favorite show. Yes. It's very much a case of a goon show that has gained popularity recently. Part of this may also be because Spike said it was his favorite yeah. one, in one interview. Yes. And... 2001, 29th of May, 2001 on Goon's Night on Radio 2. Yeah. Did he, yep. did he it say had... it again? <laughs> Why did he say this? Why was this suddenly his favorite? Well, they were odd. probably putting together the essential Spike Milligan, uh, right. which has this script oh i see okay and mm -hmm. also um the goon show 20 um which also has the sahara desert statue my favorite goon show has the fear of wages and that came out in 2002 yeah okay mm. but as, as i said on that show it's surprised this this to me this should have been on one of those goon show classics lps in the 70s mm. Uh, I, I agree. I think perhaps the, the heavy use of uh, Japanese caricature mm -hmm. might have put people off. True, true. Yes. So uh, they held it up until much later to put it out and um, offend <laughs> more people. Yes. Uh, because the big dramatic idea in the film is is driving, or certainly in The Sorcerer, is uh, driving along with all this sort of explosive material on the truck. Yes. And uh, <laughs> that lasts for all of what about... 15 seconds on this doesn't it, it just <laughs> sort of drive, well, he doesn't drive off does he it turns out he hasn't driven and uh yeah very good this is also a great show for uh if you like sound effect gags this is yeah. a really sound effect driven show is it just me the explosions they have on they don't sound as powerful as they should they sound a bit muted or is that just me listening to them mm. When that when that truck goes up, it's sort of like yeah, know. but it's meant to be in the distance. It's meant to be very far away though, because mm. Eccles mm. is driving it off. Yes, or, who, blue. Actually, it turns out nobody's driving it off. Yes, yeah. blue bottles in the back, and that annoys um, me because he's not because he uh, says he's not he dead. Says, yes, have mm. they forgotten early yeah. in the script already? I know. Yeah. I know. Uh, okay, moving swiftly on. Number ten. So we're into the top ten now. Uh, number ten is. Tales of Old Dartmoor. Oh, well, there we are. So, um, so that is side one of uh, the best of the Goon Shows, the one vinyl LP that was put out that I don't have, that I didn't have at the time. But, yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. So that was, so, and it's a very good, very good episode. Uh, they also had it on that. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned I had that record of Fifty Years of the BBC. Yes, and that's, uh, that's the extract they use, and they use the extract where um, you know the you know the prisoners are getting restless. We're going to take them on holiday, you know, between Grit Pipe and uh, and Seagoon. Um, so that's the little representation of the Goon Show on the, uh, the Fifty Years of the BBC uh, record. But uh, yeah, so good that uh, did you hear Harry Hill's um, Life on Egg series? More recently on, uh, no. on Radio Four, it's quite similar. <laughs> but, I mean, it's Harry Hill, so he's very good. Um, but oh, yeah, well, he, I'd like to get Harry Hill on the show and put that to him that he's a plagiarist. No, he's not a plagiarist at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. But, okay. um, but it, it, it's sort of 
he, he's running a prison. Um, <laughs> he's the governor. All sorts of crazy things happen. And um, yeah, this this would not have been out of place in that series. So uh, that, that that's the thing with some of these episodes. You could turn them into into entire series, couldn't you? you could. I actually heard this one very late because I had um, I would I deliberately avoided listening to the EMI shows for a long time because I am such a big fan of of Ray and Max. I didn't want to hear shows without the musical numbers. So uh, I don't think I heard Tales of Old Dartmoor until it was released on the compendium. Uh, and of course, you know, after hearing it, you're like, oh, yes, that's why it was chosen as one the first Goon LP. Yeah, it must literally be the best of the Goon shows because it's side one. But it, it has got some very corny jokes in it. It has to be said because you've got the, um, you know, uh, you know, I made myself appear and um, your job will be in jeopardy. Don't want to go abroad. And convict Eccles falling in a bucket of wet cement, becoming a hardened criminal. Um, they they get the uh, the digging their way out of a floating prison joke in twice, once early mm. on, and then as the finale of the show, basically, don't they? Yes, so, which uh, also gives us a wonderful example of uh, Gridpipe completely panicking, which you rarely hear. Mm, mm, yeah. And, and to me as well, this 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 is a special show. It's one of the again, it's one that I heard quite early on. But I, I said before that the first goon show I ever heard in its entirety was the, the last smoking sea goon. Hmm. But I'd kind of heard this show by osmosis. My dad, when I was very young, would be, quote chunks of this show without yes. without attributing it. it. You know, he would just say lines, and I didn't know what the hell. You know, there were just funny lines that he was saying or funny gags that he was saying. And we didn't have this LP in the house. So he must have had it when he was, well, heard it when he was much younger, you know, when it, when it came out or whatever and memorized it. Um, but it's, it's special to me for that. You know, it's, 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 it's the show that my dad would would quote. I should have said that sooner, shouldn't I? <laughs> okay, so uh, number nine we have from series seven, The Histories of Pliny the Elder. Uh, <laughs> well, yep, it's very, very good. And um, yep, from um, Best of the Goon Shows Volume 1 to uh, Goon Show Classics Volume 1. And it's the other side, isn't it? From mm -hmm. the, the other classic show, yeah. It is. And, uh, it takes bits of history from not only Pliny the Elder, but uh, Spartacus. And Caractacus, a or Caractacus, a Welsh chieftain. Um, there's also um, this is one of those that I listen, looked at the script on the Encyclopedia Gunicus, and there was a, quite a bit cut by the producer before the show went on the air. At one point, uh, Spartacus hides in the lava territory, which <laughs> they decided was perhaps a bit possibly a bit too stupid still they mm. did include apia pipe um yes. yeah but they also had sigun saying i know a welsh mp who'll do anything for publicity right <laughs> now i this came out in 1957 i can't figure out who that is Ny nybevan maybe mm. hardly mm. i i don't know that that's the part of the problem with these first of all i'm american but yeah. secondly you really had to have been living in March of 1957 to get some of these topical references well, that just yeah. go by. I'm trying to think of Welsh politicians, publicity hungry. Was Lambert Opic? He wasn't around <laughs> in 1957, was he? <laughs> was he Welsh even? Even before the cheeky girls were born. Goodness <laughs> me, that's terrible. Um, 
Uh, um, anyway, it's it's a very but it sort of reminded me at the time the other thing which I used to enjoy very much at the same time in my childhood, which was all the Asterix books. You know, mm, the, the, yes, oh, I love the, Asterix. Yeah, yes. and there's a sort of similar thing of um, you know, here's these characters, and you put them into a slightly different setting each time. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this this was this one was just great with the you know the 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 football team at the beginning, and then you know the sort of uh, you know being on the bill at the Coliseum, and um, you know. Wow, uh, I, and also I'm very fond. I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be, but I'm very fond of. I've got a soft spot for the character Flowerdew, oh, and Flowerdew, oh, yes. Flowerdew is a, this is probably one of his best. This and the Canal, yeah, yeah. This and the Canal, I think, are his two standout appearances. Oh, shut up! It was perfectly quiet till you came along. <laughs> it's not for you. You're a sailor, and sailors don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a plan. We'll overpower the guards. Yeah. Right, I'll take my boots off. <laughs> it's funny you say that because this is probably my one of my favorite appearances of William. Mm-hmm. William has that monologue uh, that almost reads like it could be taken from one of Spike's stand-up routines about like police brutality in the United Kingdom. Mm. Because it's, you know, with the whole, that's a nasty lump on your bonds. I think they got away with it being on the show because this took place in ancient Rome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And nicely as well. I like the fact that at the end credits, they actually credit the uh, technical guys as well. The production guys. uh, Yes. This was, um, this was right near the end of the series, I believe. Was it the final episode of the series? It it was. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, So uh, number eight. We're, we're at number eight now, and it is from series six, the jet propelled guided naffy. Good oh. lord. Ah, here are the naughty satin jeans. Well, I will just pop them into this nice boiling hot frying pan. <laughs> It's very satirical at the beginning, isn't it? In fact, it's sort of quite appropriate at the beginning because it's all about um, sort of a <laughs> uh, waste of public money. Yes. We've covered this show on Goompod. And, and yeah, the, the, the idea occurred to Spike based on a telegraph yeah, so it sound, Yeah, it sounds like a genuine news story that they just yes. read out at the beginning. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny enough, it's on Goon Show Classics Volume 2. It is. Uh, the Other Side is a show that is gets a lot of stick from it fans. Gets lot, it gets Which... a lot of stick from me. I, I did not care for it. Well, it's just that A.E. Matthews bit at the end. I just found very confusing. Oh, I love I, that. Yeah. I, See, I I, thank you. Somebody agrees with me. No, I can't I, stand I did, that. I, right, you can't stand it. Yeah, because to me, it just... you. The show goes along at such a pace normally, and then it hits this moment where the guy, you know, A.E. Matthews, who we don't really remember, do we particularly now? Uh, only, I mean, I only, only for um, only I for think this and, in, that, and this story. He's in a film I saw. I think it's called The Million Pound. Note. Oh, The Million Pound Note with Gregory Peck, is it? Yeah, I think he's in that. Um, and I know him oh, from obviously he's a great old actor, but he's mm. not. A, he's not an actor like. 
John Gill good or somebody like that. He's um, no. but yeah, but of that ilk, I guess. But uh, I mean, he it, was on there because it was his news story, basically. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they actually put it into the show, but he would not do an actual script. He wanted to just make up his lines. Is but, that true? I I think it was more that they didn't write, uh, they didn't bother to give him a script because they knew he wouldn't stay on it. Right. Mm. (laughs) A bit like Spike when he was an older man. Well, yeah, yeah. But then, I don't know, it it just sort of spoiled the pace of the show. So it might be excellent up to that point. I can't remember. But yeah, they put that on the other side of um, Mm. Jet Propelled Guided Neffy. Jet Propelled Guided Neffy has a very nice cover by Bill Tidy. Um, yes it does which is uh, which makes it look very exciting yeah i mean it's a fantastic episode uh taught me what the naffy was frankly yeah i always i always enjoy occasionally shouting out i resign (laughs) oh yes (laughs) and it's the number seven written number seven now and it is the b-side of tales of old dartmoor it's dishonored again from series nine wow honestly (laughs) so Basically, Tyler, you've been running this podcast for, what, nearly two years, yeah. uh, but still everyone's favourite episodes are, no matter what you put out, they still like the ones on these these LPs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's another very good, very good episode. It's right in the middle of all the scripts in the second. Yeah, know, more, basically. More scripts, and it's left out of it. What happened is uh, Spike had been suffering from mental stress at this time. The Call of the West, which was the episode just before this one, had barely been turned in on time. Right. And so the BBC turned to uh, Larry Stevens to write a script, but he was unwell. Mm. And as it turned out, the night this was recorded was the night he died. Mm. Mm. Um, so eventually what they did is they allowed uh, Spike to remake an old episode um, from the fifth series, which was technically written by Spike and Eric, but I think most people knew it was just Spike and Eric Sykes's name was not on the remake. So uh-huh, I don't think yeah. the BBC would have allowed that if it wasn't pretty much Spike's script. Yeah. I just want to point something out, by the way. And a lot of people voted for this. And but a lot of people just referred to it as dishonored. Right. Um, and I went, I had to go back to some of those people and say, do you mean, because I assume they meant this series yep. nine remake. Um, but a couple of people insisted that they did mean the series five like original. Me. Yes. Um, so it may well be that this actually uh, should be further down the list, if you know what I mean, in terms of its ranking. Um, but I just I, I made the assumption that most people were talking about this show when they Probably. voted for it. Yeah. Yeah. This mm. um, it's actually more rewritten than I thought. Um, there's a lot of uh, new and changed gags between. Uh, series fives and series nines um green slade's uh two four six eight who do we appreciate gag is cut because of course that was very much a series five running gag yes also blue bottle is no longer deaded every week so when it leads up to that he actually comes in you're not starting that lock again (laughs) because it hadn't happened in a while (laughs) also about that yeah because i i have to do one nerd out this episode go on i just want to run through the medley so this episode, we get uh, Rule Britannia by Thomas Arne, generally considered to be the Royal Navy's signature tune. Mm. Anchors Away, the U.S. Navy's signature tune, written by Charles A. Zimmerman. Sailor's Hornpipe, which is a traditional Navy song best known for starting the Popeye's Sailor cartoons. A Life on the Ocean Wave, which is the signature tune of the Royal Marines by Henry Russell. 
What Shall We Do With a Drunken Sailor, which is a traditional sea shanty. We Saw the Sea, which is from the 1936 Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers musical Follow the Fleet by Irving Berlin. And Ship Ahoy, All the Nice Girls Love a Sailor is a 1908 musical song written by Bennett Scott and A.J. Mills. Uh, warm applause to that. <laughs> I'm going to clear my name and get back my self-respect. I'll, I'll join the Navy! Too damn noisy in the navy. Yes, that's uh, that's wonderful. Wonderful. I mean, Wally Stott's orchestra just pulling it out of them. It's just amazing. The yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, I also think it's got one of the best plots. You don't normally think of the Goon Show for its plots. I mean, Spike tended to wander off of them, but this mm. is well plotted from beginning to end. I think. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. With a lovely uh, payoff at the end. Yeah, it, it's uh, but it's obviously got the 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 skeleton of the series five show, hasn't it? So it's uh... oh yeah, for the most part, it's the series five show with with the occasional added gags. Um, yeah, they added a long Henry and Minnie intro and that sort of thing. Yeah, okay. Speaking of series five, we get to number six on the list, and it is nineteen eighty five. Goodness me, mm. which well, was Sean's uh, Sean's uh, debut episode on Goonpod. Yes, I, I I find it one of my favorites. I mean, I'm especially pleased at how it's made this list, given how specific the parody is. Mm -hmm. This yeah. is, I mean, it really is the Peter Cushing 1984 scene by scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it had just been on the telly not long before. Three weeks? Three weeks before, right? Mm. Right. Let's take a chance. Let's meet somewhere under the moon alone. We can clasp each other to each other. And then, oh. <laughs> oh, it's good to be alive in 1985. Shut up, Eccles. Shut up, Eccles. Now, darling, where? Somewhere where no one is listening. I know the place. Home service, 8.30 Tuesday night. <laughs> you mean the forbidden goon sector? Yes. Wait, that belt you're wearing. That's the anti-sex league belt. <clears throat> Well, I don't think I'll come. No, no. <laughs> but you two are wearing the anti-sex league belt. I was forced to. Why? My trousers kept falling down. I'm sure, I'm sure that its popularity amongst uh, Goompod listeners is heightened by the episode that we did on it. 
I can. Oh, I have to agree. Yeah. <laughs> we're, um, we're basically fantastic. <laughs> it was on the last. It was on the last LP, wasn't it? It was uh, Volume Eleven. Yeah, yes. nineteen eighty-five. And uh, yeah, so they but yeah they they didn't do do one in nineteen eighty-four, as far as I can make out. So uh, and then they came back in nineteen eighty-five, and then that was it for vinyl for the Goon Show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, didn't, you didn't have to go back and ask people if they meant this one or the one five weeks later, did you? <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> Never occurred to me to do that. Um, obviously, it's based on, I mean, Spike was friends uh, with Nigel Neal, who adapted uh, 1984 for, for BBC yes. television. All right. Which neatly brings us on to number five on our list, which is, can you guess? Is it the Scarlet Capsule? It's the Scarlet Capsule from Gosh, Series Nine. Well, that—that's that, ah. the other standout one for me in that second book of uh, Gunche scripts, the Scarlet Capsule. In fact, my memory <laughs> of that one is that. Um, so I knew the script, and that is also uh, we've now moved on to Best of the Gunchos Volume Two, haven't we? Because it's that yes. one. It's uh, Scarlet Capsule and Tales of Men's Shirts. But yeah. um, so I knew it from that, and I knew the script, and then on the telly uh one evening they showed i think it's the 1967 uh film of quatermass and mm. pit mm. so uh, i watched that and i thought oh this is funny because they've stolen the plot of this from the goon show you see because i didn't really i knew about the original <laughs> quatermass but i didn't realize that they'd then done other quatermass series with different stories and so it's from it's from that isn't it but uh, yes yeah. the the interesting thing, Quatermass in the Pit had aired in December 58 and January 59. And this goon show came out on February 2nd of 59. However, Tony Hancock got there first uh, mm. because uh, Tony Hancock did a TV parody of Quatermass on the 30th of January. Mm -hmm. So that, that seems to be Spike's lag, doesn't it? Of, of About a month after the thing's been on. Yes. It was 1984. There's, yes. There's about a month or so. And then and then the uh, the thing turns up. So it's burnt into his mind, all these scenes. And, yeah, you uh, mentioned these, the these uh, script. This is this is what I was talking about earlier, where the script in uh, more Goon Show scripts has added bits written by Spike in the 1970s is that, that are not true? present in the original typewritten script in the archives from 1950. So what, what sort of bits would those those be? Oh, <laughs> you're putting me on the spot here. I'd have to research it. Yeah. I I, oh, well, I sorry, just sorry. wrote down they were different. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. that's interesting, then, isn't it? So uh, we don't yeah. know if he did that in the first. I first wish book he of scripts. I wish he hadn't done that. I really wish he yeah. hadn't done that. Uh, there, there was another book of scripts in the the eighties called uh, Was it Lost Goon Show? Yes, Lost Goon Show scripts. And he yes. admits in that one that he's jollied them up or something, doesn't he? So uh, yeah, yeah, it is like you know, well, it's like. Words with rewriting his earlier poems, isn't it? And sometimes they were more transcripts. I, I mentioned before, I, I was always very annoyed when I got Morgun Show scripts looking at uh, Who is Pink Oboe, because I expected the original script with Peter's roles, uh, because, of course, yes. getting in all the others was very last minute. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the Scarlet Capture, by the way, not one of my favorites, um, but I remember it distinctly getting um, a secondhand copy of the LP best of the goon shows number two and mm. much, much preferring tales of men's shirts, but um, the Scarlet capsule, I played <laughs> my best friend at the time was a guy called Clint. And I played this 
to Clint because he likes sci-fi. I wasn't particularly a sci-fi fan, but he likes sci-fi. And I was hoping, I was so hoping because I had no friends who were, <laughs> I, I could stop it there. I had no friends. I had friends, but none, no friends that I wanted to, or that I felt I could share my goon show obsession with. Mm. But I thought I'll, I'll try and see if this will uh, lure Clint into, you know, into the world you of the goons. Been, you might have been better off with the fireball of Milton Street. Yeah. Well, it 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 went down like a concrete butty. <laughs> it's it's okay. I think it really depends on the audience having just seen yeah. Quater Mass in the Pit. Yeah. In my opinion, these skulls were dropped by the Germans in 1943. Unexploded German skulls? I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> Elephant soup with squad spuds. I hadn't thought of that either. <laughs> Sabrina in the bath. <laughs> <laughs> I do have some spare time. <laughs> I don't think she has. Gentlemen. It also has Andrew Timothy, who makes, I think, his only appearance mm. in this uh, countdown. Yes, you're right. Oh, <laughs> spoilers there. Um, so, so now we know that the last Goon Show of All is not going to figure. Oh, um, I don't but know I was actually it. supposed to be uh, Peter, Peter Sellers in a, it was scripted as Peter Sellers doing a John Snag sort of voice. Right. But okay. I guess uh, maybe they decided, uh, maybe Peter decided he was doing too much or they couldn't do it or they, Andrew just happened to walk by. Who knows? Yeah. It's pre recorded, yeah. clearly. But uh, he do it, he does it in the same way that he announced the early goon shows, which is to say, sort of slightly dour. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So number four. Number four is, drumroll, the dreaded batter pudding hurler of Bexhill on Sea. Only number four. Mm. I think one of the things that strikes me about it is, it, is it's so staid compared to later goon shows. You, you really, particularly Harry, is almost uh, underplaying it. it. It really reads like an early goon show because it's not as raucous as you'd expect. I think it's just full of really great funny moments. I, you know... <laughs> And I suppose it's just ultra familiar, isn't it? Because it's the first one in the Goon Show scripts book. And then it is. The so it it is therefore the, the first Goon Show I was yeah. ever exposed to. So I love it to bits. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, quite windy on these cliffs, Minnie. Yes, yes. What a nice summer evening. <laughs> Typical English evening. Yes. The rain is lovely and warm. <laughs> Minnie? Yes. I think I'll take one of my sou'westers off. You devil, you. <laughs> Here, Minnie, hold my elephant gun. Oh, dear. I, I don't know what you brought it for. You you can't shoot elephants in England, you know. Mm, why not? They're out of season. Oh. <laughs> it's the other thing that I thought, listening to these again recently, is that you get so many different sorts of jokes. It's not just... It, cause I remember Willie Rushton once saying about... I'm sorry I haven't a clue. You know, people like it because you get so many jokes. You know, you get more jokes per minute in this show than in any anything else that's on at the moment. And I think The Goon Show is, sort of provides that. But it's it's not the fact that you just have so many jokes. There's so many different sorts of jokes 
you know you get corny jokes and there's always plenty of those and then you get jokes which have sort of come from nowhere you know think yep. you know, who could have thought of that you know just sort of these brilliant sort of spike milligan concepts you get all, all the sound effects stuff you get things that play around with you know what you you know what you think you're looking at and then it turns out to be something else um and um you know it's just getting the mix of those if you just did the same thing over and over again mm. people would just get wise to it i think but no you know and, and when Seagoon bumps into moriarty pulling his oven along you know he needs his match for the uh because because uh, the gas has gone out and oh, i can't spend time uh, uh waste time um looking at talking to him i've, I've got to go and find the uh the dreaded better pudding hurler and uh yeah no i i love it it's it's yeah, really that, good. And, you know that's the, plus, the of... other match gag i love which is where seekun is like I've got another match at home. And Moriarty just goes, so rich. Yes, that's such a, one of those little understated gags, throwaway gags that I love that the audiences often overlook. You know? Yeah. And also the fact that you've just, you know, that match idea, which plays right through it. And there's, in so many of the shows, there's um, almost like this sort of catchphrase for the day, or, you know, this is the thing that they just keep repeating through each episode. And, uh, you know, so you've got Minnie and Henry sort of, uh, you know, with the with the match on the clip top, you know, don't, don't you, you can't light it during the uh, the blackout and uh, I've got a German match, you know, curse the British, you know. So, <laughs> this um, also had a lot cut from uh, the aired version, which you can see in the uh, Guncho scripts, which unlike later books actually is the original script um such as where they're all throwing each other out of the boat and offering money for a place in the boat and all all of that is in the script but did not make mm. this mm -hmm. episode when they did a reperformance of it uh with, when spike was absent one time and they uh, they redid it with peter doing all the voices mm. they did include that scene Eccles, is the ship sinking only below the sea <laughs> We must try and save the ship. Help me get it into the lifeboat. Okay, I'll help. What's the old tennis friend that is? It's no good. The, the ship won't fit in the lifeboat. <laughs> well, a ghastly oversight by the designer. Yeah. Never mind. It leaves room for one more on the boat. I am willing to fill that vacancy. How did you get back on board? I was molested by a lobster with a disgusting habit. <laughs> right, Bloodlock, do your duty. Women and children first. Bloodlock, take that dummy out of your mouth. It was also very popular, judging by the fact that you had to have Wallace step in the next week to say, please stop sending us batter puddings. Yes. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in the Phantom Headshaver episode, which... Uh, I'll I'll spoil it now. That doesn't make it into the top three, uh, although Ooh. I think it should have done. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, there's but... just too many good shows. Yes, yes. Well, let's let's um, let's get into the top three. Okay. So, uh, any predictions at this point? <laughs> what have we got left? What haven't we had yet? So we've got the Green Slade story. Napoleon's piano is coming up surely. Well, okay. Well, number three is. Lurgy strikes Britain. Oh. Ah. One morning in May, I was going through an old dustbin when my valet announced a visitor. Pardon me, sir. That is the visitor to see you. Right. Heads down. Put my lunch back in the dustbin and send him in. <laughs> this way, sir. Oh. My dear Dr. Seagoon, allow me my card. My card. My card. Snap. 
And now, my friend, to business. My name is Count Moriarty. Have you ever heard of Lurgy? There's no one of that name here. Sacristy Bumpet, listen to me while I tell you a tale. In 1296, on the Isle of You... Where? Isle of You. I love you too. Shall we dance? <laughs> I don't wish to know that. And most people agree now that it's not written by Spike, or at least mostly not written by Spike. That's right, yes. Most Eric. people think this is pretty much entirely Eric's work. Uh, this was the first Goon Show co-written quote by them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 uh, there's a there's a line where uh, there's a scene where um, Oldham Royal Infirmary is referenced, and obviously Eric was born in Oldham, wasn't he? So I, right, I think I think it's a clear indication to me that you know he was driving this script. Yeah, I've Very I've possibly. said before that I think this is a fantastic introduction to the Goon Show for new listeners. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, also, I think it's beloved simply because of uh, the. Lurgy entering the vocabulary of Britain. I think the the word Lurgy had been in the Goon Show since the very first episode of series one. You you can see it in the script that was published. Yes, that's right. But I think most of it, most of the early scripts used it as just a silly word like yakabakaka. Mm -hmm. I I don't think it was used as a malady until the greatest mountain in the world. But this was the show that really you know, made it what it is. Mm. I'm wondering mm -hmm. if lurgy was a Bentine word, because if you look at the early scripts that feature the word, they all tend to be pure heart sketches. Right. Could have been. Could have been Bentine word. I'm sure mm. it probably came from the army, like almost everything yeah. Yeah. that you can track down about their sense of humor. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we've reached the final two. So it can only be number There's two. There's no drama anymore. We know what they are. <laughs> Which order are they in? All right. Well, number two is the Green Slate story. Oh. Mm. No, it's well, it's it it's it's a lovely episode, isn't it? And yeah, it's brilliant. fantastic. Just absolutely brilliant. And you know, just the thought that uh, you know, there's this other character in this that you don't even notice. And uh what if we just put him sort of you know, center stage and yeah, just to, you know, the green slate story, like, like the Glenn Miller story or you know, one of these yes. other kind of um, uh, films that would have been around, but yeah, absolutely lovely and just totally ridiculous. And the scene yeah. with um, when John Snag goes around to see green slate, neither of them are the world's greatest actors. No, <laughs> and, well, he's, he's just unveiling a small bronze statue of himself or something. Absolutely wonderful. Well, Brilliant. Snag had been pre-recorded in the goon show several times, but I think, this is the only time he's actually in the studio with them. Yes. Right. Okay. And um, it, it's also basically, uh, again, sort of a, a timely reference in that uh, ITV was poaching the BBC mm. staff. Yeah. I, one, one, one of the things, I mean, Peter Sellers is on particular form for the for this episode. The the voices, the, the range of voices that he does, I didn't count them, but uh, he does the... Uh, Alva, if it's Alva Liddell's secretary, the, the female voice, he does Alva Liddell himself. Well, he's called Mister Liddell, the the pompous BBC official that interviews. I love that that Eccles. whole scene. The, I I don't know if this is how Alvar Liddell sounded because I've never heard him. Yeah. But if it, it it is, if you'll pardon the phrase, an exquisite parody. Now, Mister Greensleeves, can I <laughs> can I hear you say something? Certainly. Um, 
Winds light to variable. By Jove, you couldn't have picked a more appropriate phrase. Oh, it was nothing. Come, come. Say it again. Say it again with a smile in the voice. Of course. <clears throat> Winds light to variable. Delicious. <laughs> Quite enchanting. Now, now say it as though it were a national catastrophe. Oh, winds light to variable. Oh, very touching. <laughs> quite, quite touching. Yes, I, I think you have it, Mr. Greenslave. You can start work at once. Get me a BBC announcer. And, and also Lou is wonderful in this Lou the the slightly problematic now Jewish character <laughs> um, but he's amazing in this so is oh, anyone... yeah I mean you I, I I think Andrew Timothy is underrated personally but you could never imagine the Andrew Timothy story the way you get the green no. slate story here no. had anyone done this before with the announcer done this sort of no, bring him so. into the I don't think so. Now, Green Slade had been the villain before in um, the Phantom Head Shaver, and yeah, he'd, of course, yes. he'd gotten the girl before in um, *The Bandit of Sherwood Forest*. Right. Yeah. But uh, this was this was the first episode, and uh, yeah. I, you know, Andrew Andrew Timothy also had occasional bits in *The Goon Show* where he talked about his fan club. So that yeah. did not originate right. with, with Wallace right. Green Slade, because yeah. this a... was clearly designed around yeah. him. Well, yes. Once you've seen these people and what they can do, and then you were right for that person, and you know, obviously, they'd had him involved for quite a time by this and by this point. But um, yeah, I mean, just having the announcer is is an odd thing to us now. That mm -hmm. is like a standard thing in the in these shows. And I suppose later on, you've got uh, Douglas Smith in Round yes. the Horn, you and do. it's mm -hmm. a sort of similar thing going on there. You know, that he's like the authority figure, but you can take the Mickey out. And then mm -hmm. much later in uh, Dead Ringers, where they're sending up Brian Perkins and all this sort of thing. Well, you could argue David Hatch also sent well, up yeah, uh, the idea right. of announcers. That's well, that's true. right. He yeah. sort of takes on that role, doesn't he? And uh, I'm sorry, I'll read that and again. And I, yeah, there's like later episodes where he like is you know, using his authority to get, say that John Cleese sits on a wasp and that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and also this one, of course, has got the, the Eccles buying a tie at Cambridge show, which uh, oh, Spike later does show. in the, uh, yeah, does in the one man show, doesn't he? Yes, he used that a few times. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful episode, which it, it, again, you know, it, it wouldn't be anyone's introduction to the goon show because it's got so many in jokes and topical references, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a great send-up of celebrity, isn't it? That's mm. the thing about it. Mm. It's the mm. absolute nonsense of it. And uh, yeah, just and how, it and how celebrities can be forgotten the next day. Yeah. Oh, Morecambe and Wise, yes. Yes, of course. Whatever happened to Morecambe and Wise? Uh, um, now, okay, so so we're, we're now at the number one point. Um, <laughs> there's no great surprise coming up, I don't think. But uh, I wanted, so next week's show, the next show after this is going to be, we're going to cover the Greenslade story. The reason I'm not covering the number one show is because we've covered it previously on GoonPod, and it is. The number one show is... Napoleon's Piano. My goodness me. Ah, hold on to your hats. <laughs> it's, it's a near-perfect Goon show. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, it's a great simple hook, isn't it? And do you think he'd actually seen an advert to this effect? You know, like we had the Daily Telegraph story before. You know, it seems like the sort of thing that you would have seen, and you've got to move a piano from one room to another, mm. and then and then you come up with the joke. Oh, what if they're in two different countries? You know, uh, how can I now use that joke? And, <laughs> But yeah, really, and you know the nice distinct settings all the way through. It's always you know. Uh, I've uh, always loved the the map folding sequence. This is the map plan of the Louvre and the surrounding streets. Now, you take one end of this map. That's right. Unfold it. That's the way. Huh? Hmm? That's right. It's big, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. This bit here shows the Rue de la Paix. Good heavens, you're miles away. Walk straight up that street, take the second on the left, and I'll be waiting for you. I took a taxi. It was too far. And and, and back to Wallace Greenslade, he gets quite a, a chunky role in this as well as various French characters. Yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Yes, and with his amazing acting. Um, mm. Even the tossed off lines in this, like when uh, Gritpipe says, this is the exact piano that Napoleon played at Waterloo, and Moriarty is just like, what have we lost? <laughs> <laughs> Which just in itself is a great idea, isn't it? The fact that at the Battle of Waterloo, Napoleon's taken a piano along to play. You know? Yes. Also, uh, showing showing my Americanness. Um I had never heard of Kippers until I heard this episode. Oh, you're missing out. Uh, well, no, no, not really. No, um, not really. <laughs> but again, you know, it, it's just this great mix of very corny, but also very brilliant jokes, you know. The ending is, again, a very current event, as mm. oh, uh, Rock All oh. was very much in the news. Yep, absolutely. Look, it's, everyone's heard it. Everyone loves it. It's uh, It was on Goon Show Classics Volume 4 with The Flea. And... Uh, yeah, I'm very, very fond of it. I think the standout gag is is the piano leg soaring scene. Yes. Why, why do I keep falling down? <laughs> and it has the um, the gorilla running gag is one of my favorite show length only running gags in the goon show. <laughs> yes. Especially yes. with the capper of I only smoke baboons. Good show. Yes. Baboon show. That's great. That's great. <laughs> You know, you know, he knows he's got a good pun when he cues in the audience applause yeah. on the SFX. <laughs> yes. Okay, so chaps, so we've raced through this list, but what are your what are your observations? What are your thoughts? Is it fair? Is it is it a fair representation? Do you think? Uh, no, it's completely wrong. Mm. Um, so it wouldn't be my top twenty necessarily. Uh, well, a lot of them would be, but. Yeah, yeah ne- next year, Tyler is going to come on and give you his top 20 and tell everyone why they got it all completely <laughs> wrong. And, um, no, you know, there's some great episodes. There. There's always good stuff in every episode, isn't there? But some of these are just absolutely superb. Napoleon's Piano is superb. The Greenslade story is superb. Dreaded Batter Pudding Hurler. Call of the West, I think, is superb, no matter what you say. So, yeah, uh, yeah lots of wonderful things. And... It's, it's not a surprise that the shows that got here are the shows that everybody knows. I mean, it's it's what everyone grew up with. It's what everyone's played over and over again. And so it's obviously going to be 
you're you're going to get Napoleon's piano and and you're not going to get the space age. Yes, yes, yes. Well, let me just 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 quickly there the, the, the were fun, well there were lots and lots and lots of different shows voted for obviously. Um the the five that didn't quite make the list. I just want to quickly run through. We don't, we don't comment on them, but um, the Tuscan Salami Scandal, which is ah. wonderful, which is a brilliant show. Uh, China Story, uh, rather oddly, I thought, but Tales of Montmartre. Well, um, that's because you covered it on the podcast. I was about to say, had you just done the podcast? Possibly. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, Jake Stanson joked that that wouldn't make, because I mentioned we're doing this list, and he said, oh, this won't make anyone's best of but um uh-huh. quite a few people voted for that uh the affair of the lone banana which is great yes. yeah. and uh shifting sands right i love shifting sands mm, with uh jack train with jack train who fits perfectly into the show. yes no, no house of teeth then no well that was voted for but no i mean i think but... the canal is probably the better episode yeah yeah true yeah um so just a few, few Gambaccini style statistics here. <laughs> um, uh, eight of the top 20 were from shows from series six. Okay. Uh, four from series five. There were four from series seven, three from series nine and one, one sole representative show from series eight Poor old series eight. Well, it does show, you know, well, that, poor that, old that, series that, 10. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, <laughs> the most popular from series 10 was tales of men's shirts rather unsurprisingly. Mm, um, which is on another LP, but uh, yeah, it just shows you the series five and series six. Really, you know, it, it does seem to be the golden era, doesn't it? Yeah, I probably am most fond of series six and seven. Yeah, personally, um, just to round it off. By the way, the most popular show voted for from the Vintage Goon series, again, unsurprisingly, because it was on an LP, missing number ten Downing Street. Mm-hmm. Um, which is on um, the very best of the goon. I mean, that should have been in the list because it's the very best. Of course. Uh, very best of the goon shows, volume one. We still await volume two. We do. Yeah, we, with that awful folk. folk the stereo effect. Folk stereo, yes. Yeah. We could yeah. do without that. Uh, and that was actually released after the first Goon Show Classics LP, because Paul Penn must have thought, uh, Yo, we've got to get back on this. <laughs> I, would, I would argue that if I were going to pick a vintage Goons episode, it would be The Mummified Priest, okay. which I think is the best of the series. Uh, by the way, the most popular show from Series 4 that was voted for, can you guess? The Greatest Mountain in the World. Correct. Yes. <laughs> which I adore. I, I, I think I probably would have had it in my top 10. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's it's it's, it's wonderful. Um, there were no just on the Goon Show Classics LPs. There were no showings at all for mm-hmm. Goon Show Classics Volume Eight, which had World War One and Nasty Affair at the Barami Oasis on it. That's and cool. there were no showings from Goon Show Classics Volume Ten, which had the Whistling Spy Enigma, yeah. and I Was Monty's Treble yes. on it. Nothing from. Well, what else have we got? Um, Goon, but not forgotten. What was on that one? Oh, the other EMI shows, yeah. No, there wasn't. There wasn't any of those. A China Story was in the top twenty-five. No, McCreaky Rising. No, well, that's not a very good show. I don't think. Uh, but it's familiar. Look, it's you, on a record. You didn't like Seacombe's classic performance as Moriarty. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, series nine is well represented because if you think it's only seventeen episodes in series nine, it's well represented on this list. And uh, Call of the West, Dishonored Again, and Scarlet Capsule were all sequential as well yes. in january february yeah. 1959 yes um there were 12 scripts in the top 20 that 
accredited solely to Spike. Um, six to Spike and Larry, and two to Spike and Eric. Mm. And Peter Eaton is the best represented producer with 10 shows under his belt there. Very um, interesting. Mm. So, any final thoughts, chaps? Well, when you say you know, that most of them are Spike-only scripts, maybe people uh, love the uh, Spike-only ones because, you know, um, there is a certain thing that certainly the script books are Spike only <laughs> scripts. So yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, two of the um, I, I think two of the shows were in the essential Spike Milligan from this list. Um, mm. Fair of wages, and, and what was the other one? Mysterious Punch Up the Conquer was it? Uh, I think so. Yes. Yeah. Right. So they those are both Spike and Larry, aren't they? Yes, they are actually, aren't they? Yes. Fair of wages is Larry as well, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Uh, but. <laughs> Spike claims full credit. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, and of course, you know, it is his show. It, it, yeah, it, I mean, Ed, you're, the reason it, you may be seeing so many Spike solo scripts is because these are the ones that Spike pushed and the BBC pushed and they yeah, ended yeah. up being on LP. I mean, True. But the also, BBC is going to Spike and saying, which ones would you like to do next? He's yeah. probably going to remember the ones he did. Yeah, but also they are really good. You know, they that, are. That, that, that's what I mean. You know, that, I could have um, named 20 more, but... um. Yeah, well, I, you've given me a great idea, Mike. I think I actually will next this time next year. I think I will put out my top twenty, and I'll yeah. and what I'll do is the the rule will be that I can't include any that are on this list. I mean, that might make it a bit. That I was about to say your mm. top twenty doesn't have the flea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I'll have to think about that, but it would be good. I nice idea. So I might, I might, uh, I might do that. And then if the show, if the podcast is still going, good God, in three years' time or whatever. Both of you could come back and have your top twenties. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Yes, um, Sean. Any any final thoughts at all or observations? Uh, no, I think it's an excellent representative list. If there's one thing that surprised me, I am surprised that the Green Slade story was so high. I know it's become very popular in recent years, but I hadn't realized how popular. Mm, mm. I thought that Pliny the Elder would be much higher than it was. I mean, it's top ten, but. Uh, I thought it was going to be top three because it, it, I'm pretty sure I seem to remember that it was the Goon Show Preservation Society did a poll in the early eighties. And I'm pretty sure that Lurgy Strikes Britain was number one. And I think Pliny the Elder was number two, something like that, but tastes change. Okay. Oh, listen, Sean, Mike, thank you so much for uh, Sean, especially having to get up at the ridiculous hour of the morning. Cause you're in, that I'm actually up at this hour, so it's yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, perhaps, as I say, uh, if we if we do do the top twenty Tyler shows next year, I could get you back again to uh, to uh, mull over those, and we can um, we can do all we this can read them again. over your shoulder at the same time, like Blue Bottle. <laughs> you can do that. Yeah, I'll give you the script. Uh, all right, chaps. Well, listen. Um, Happy New Year to you both, and Happy New Year, Tyler. Happy, Happy New, New Year, Year. Happy Holidays, everybody. And uh, and let's, as I say, let's let's look forward to a wonderful 2023.